So, welcome to episode four of the Tribe Fest pod- pod- podcast. <laughs> podcast, Douglas. Podcast. Uh, we're bringing you to get the hang of this. Oprah Winfrey's getting worried. <laughs> is she, Douglas? Yeah, yeah, yeah she is. We worried. should tell everyone who we are. It's uh, I'm Jane Ampurdy. And I'm Douglas Robertson. So, what's on today? We have a lockdown life from Lilius Kinsman Blake from The She. Then we were chatting to JP Cormier, who's over in Nova Scotia. Our Moishe's Fable today is from Greg Lawson. Um, but before all that, we're going to hear from Fiona Hunter and Mark Dunlop from Malinke. I'd just like to warn the listeners that we did have quite a lot of technical difficulties with this interview. It was a little bit of a comedy of errors. Please bear with us. Even with members scattered across the country, Malinke is still very much an Edinburgh band. Founder members Steve Byrne and Mark Dunlop actually met at the Edinburgh Folk Festival the forerunner of Tradfest, and the band's first gig was supporting Robin Williamson of incredible string band fame at the Edinburgh Folk Club. Today, Malinke is a national treasure, doing an excellent job of celebrating Scots and Northern Irish song. We're absolutely gutted that we won't be seeing them live this spring, but to make up for that, we've persuaded Mark Dunlop and Fiona Hunter to join us on the podcast. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Great, thanks. Hello. And uh, where, where are you right now, Fiona? I am just sitting in my flat in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. And Mark? Uh, I'm sitting in my uh, house in, in Fife watching deck chairs blow past the back window. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty windy today. <laughs> so, uh, Mark, the session scene in Edinburgh that you, you sprang out of that, um, any poignant memories of that time? Well, I remember the vibrancy of it um, coming from uh, Dundee, which is where I studied. The, the session scene was basically uh, two pubs, one in Broughty Ferry and one in Dundee, and the crowds at those sessions didn't particularly mix. So coming down uh, to Edinburgh and encountering what seemed like a, a bewilderingly kind of vast array of not only great musicians, but actually places to play, um, was actually what persuaded me to come to live in Edinburgh in the first place. I had to, my brother had come to study at Telford, and I came down just for a weekend's crack with him to sort of make sure he settled in and stuff like that, and uh, and discovered all these people. I mean, people like Simon Tumeyer and Claire and, uh, and Claire Mann and a lot of the guys from Def Shepherd and stuff like that. Just seeing them, you know, just just you know, people, young people playing music and, and having a great time and, and sessions seemingly everywhere and it was great for about probably the next three years I kind of just jumped right in and uh, I met lots of great people and had lots of great tunes and met kind of separately some some really great singers people like Sai Laurie, uh, Aileen Carr, George Duff people like that Um, and yeah I mean it was was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before or, or really since to be honest. So what was it like jumping in there? I mean, I understand that you took up whistle relatively late in life. Were you <laughs> quite uh, confident to join in with those guys? Or No. No. Actually, no, I wasn't at all. Um, in fact, I used to, there used to be a session in the Tron, uh, and what would quite often happen was Leo McCann would come in and he wouldn't have a whistle, and he'd go, hey, can I borrow your whistle? And I'd go, there you go, mate. And then I'd be him for the rest of the night. I wouldn't see it again. So, no, I, I was just... Uh, very um what's the word you were a bystander um, um no kind of just needing to get practice and needing to get experience and and uh different tunes and, and just really kind of find space to grow because where i had come from it was kind of different it was a, it was a lot more it, it was it was guys who weren't so serious about it it was a lot more fun you know it wasn't kind of this Oh, here's a kitchen, here's a kitchen. It was just kind of a bunch of old hippies, really, mm-hmm. uh, up in Dundee. <laughs> and uh, um, whereas going to Edinburgh, it was, it was quite daunting because you get just, you know, fantastic Neil Kennedy and Simon Bradley, just names that are coming back to me now that I think of, yeah. you know. What about Cathal um, McConnell? Did you come across <clears throat> Of course, Cal was, yeah, Cal was always on, on the scene. And just, um, it's very easy to be kind of intimidated by people like that. Um, Oh God, I'm thinking about Ross Martin. He was he was there as well, and Ailey mm-hmm. Shaw, you know, and, mm-hmm. and people like that. Um, you know, just fantastic musicians. And uh, I didn't really belong in musical company like that, to be honest, in terms of just exposure or or ability. And it was just really a question of 
try and they just kind of fit in really, which I'm not entirely certain I ever managed to do, which is why I kind of fetched up with Corrine and Steve <laughs> and yeah. Kit really, you know. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about that because I believe that the first gig that Malinky played was at the, the Edinburgh Folk Club. <clears throat> right? That's right. Uh, and it, was... it was supporting Robin Williamson. Uh, that would have been October 1998, 20th of October. So Steve would remember the date. I, I don't quite remember. It was, I think it was late October. Uh, yeah, and, and basically yeah. I knew Corrine and got a call from her. I'm, I'm just trying to get a band together for a thing. And, and I said, well, definitely count me in. And we rehearsed for about a month, kind of once a week uh, in her flat. Um, just really to get ready for it, as I say, but, I knew Kit from the session scene. I, I I had met Steve, but didn't really know him. Craig and Steve knew each other quite well. And it just kind of seemed to work. In terms of personalities, um, you know, Craig and Steve are quite, um, in their own way, strong personalities. And, and whereas Kit and I were kind of slightly more kind of backseat kind of guys. And then just the, the dynamic of it seemed to pretty well work. But um, so we, we did this thing. And it was great to see Robin Williamson because I, I had actually no idea who Robin Williamson was. I'd never heard of the incredible string band. It, it was just, you know, it could yeah. be Robin Williams for all I knew. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, so you were uh, support you were supporting Robin Williamson. We were supporting the, Robin yeah. Williamson doing a solo thing. And I can remember standing in, in the recorder at the back just working on, on just holding a whistle and thinking, because I'd never been on a stage before and, and being on a stage with people that I'd only kind of really got into doing it with. And it was kind of fairly daunting. But um, I, I remember virtually nothing about it. Other than that, afterwards, uh, somebody who has since died but was a stalwart, certainly at Edinburgh Folk Club, <laughs> did, say, did say to Steve, oh, I think you'd be better off without those guys. They'll drag you down. <laughs> <laughs> luckily, I wouldn't say who it was, but Steve knows who it was. <laughs> luckily, he didn't take any notice of that and obviously <laughs> yeah. went from strength to strength. And then, I don't know what Kareem would have said. <laughs> Obviously, in 2004, um, you met a new singer. Um, and Fiona, I wanted you to tell me that little story about when you had went to Steve's flat. Yeah, so, um, well, it kind of the first time I really met, it was Steve and Kareen at a Greg Duncan um, weekend, which was to do with the Elphinstone Institute. It was up in Aberdeen, and that was the first time that I kind of met Kareen and... Steve and they were they were performing in the evening as workshops during the day, which was led by Gardina McCulloch and Anne Nielsen. And uh, I went up there as a kind of a uh, very uh, fresh first year student. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I think that was the, the first time we met. And then heard bits and bobs obviously over the years through Malinky, and and then I'd got a, a call I think or an email from Steve. To say basically that you know just uh, he was doing some kind of project, and would I be interested in being involved? So of course, yeah, I the answer no word of anything kind of malinky related, and I had to come through to uh, Tower Street in Edinburgh to where at the time Stephen Ewan were living, Ewan McPherson. And uh, yeah, I basically, um, kind of <laughs> very unknown to myself, was auditioning for the band. Um, and it was just kind of put as, you know, we're just going to have, you know, sing some songs and, and kind of just see what, see what happened. And uh, yeah, that, that was it. So yeah, I, I suppose that was a really good way and a kinder way to do it rather than saying, oh, do you want to come through and, you know, sit in a, a living room with some folk that you don't really know at all and audition for a band? Um, and that was that was kind of it. And I'm trying to, can't really remember all what I sang, but uh, yeah, Mark was obviously there and Steve and uh, and that was, that was the first kind of proper Malinky meeting for me. Yeah, good good practice for lockdown. Everyone's sitting, everyone's singing in their living room these days. <laughs> yeah, and you've then you've been singing before that, haven't you? The... Yeah, just through my studies, really. Uh, starting, you know, uh, at that time it was the RSEMD. Um, so yeah, it all kind of fell into place really nicely for me because I was coming to the wards towards the end of my my studying. And and this was a kind of a chance for me to join a, a, a band that were up and running and really well known in the folk scene. And uh, 
yeah, it was a, pretty much a dream come true. But remember afterwards, I think after that first meeting, was it the shore bar we went to, Mark? Mm-hmm, yeah. Went down and kind of had a pint and, uh, yeah, and then the lads just kind of decided that, yeah, right, join, join the band. <laughs> it was like, definitely. So... That was how it. So I I joined the band. Yeah, and you you found yourself kind of touring then, quite soon after that. You went. You were traveling overseas. Is that right, Mark? You remember? Yes. Um, we went on a tour, which was a kind of hello and goodbye type uh, of affair, where, where basically we had Cream uh, and Leo, who was also leaving, but we had <clears throat> we had you and. It was taking Leo's place, and we had Fee as well, and it was all kind of by way of kind of illustrating what what we were going to, you know, where we were going to go. And uh, I mean, it was really important to get it was really important to get a, a good singer, obviously. Um, but it was also really important for us to be able to say that we were going to carry on and, and, and it, with different uh, people there because I think there would have been a lot of people probably thought that without Kareem we might just kind of pack up and go home sort of thing and uh, so it was, it was important for, for us to be able to show that the, you know, the, the, the king is dead long live the king kind of thing Well you have gone from strength to strength and uh, I think what would be cool to talk about would be that you had your 20th anniversary in 2019 um, with a new album which you haven't really managed to tour that much because of the, you know, obviously the uh, big COVID thing. Um, so can you tell us a wee bit about Hansel and, and you know, what people can hear on the album? So, yeah, so it's, it's a kind of, it's, as you say, it's a, a celebration of, of Malinke over the years and it's a, a double CD. So um, there's uh, new, new songs, uh, you know, part of the kind of, one side of the album and then the other part is kind of older maybe some songs that we had kind of older Malinky archive songs and kind of and bringing back members like Corinne and uh, you know having Leo and things like that so tracks that featured them and also because it was this celebration um, we had a couple of guest singers as well um, coming and joining us so a, a bit of collaboration with with other singers as well so yeah, I think it's it was a brilliant, lovely idea to do because it just really well. I felt personally that it was you know there was a nice big kind of almost full circle of of what's kind of happened since Malinky started and and where we are now. So yeah, that's my take on it. So <laughs> Steve and I are quite sentimental sort of blokes, really. And uh, <clears throat> prior to I mean prior to anything like that for our tenth anniversary, we had put together uh, a show of Celtic Connections, which included everybody who played with us up to that point. <clears throat> and that was great because we hadn't. I mean, by that stage, that was two thousand and nine, so we hadn't. Uh, you know, played with Kit by that stage for, for getting on for sort of eight years. And uh, so people who, who knew each other but had never actually perhaps played in, in the band together with other people, we, we pulled that all together. And one of the tracks from that concert is on the bonus CD, whatever you want to call it, um, from Hansel, which is, which is, I think, the track that we closed it with, which was uh, um, The Body Lass of 5 uh, and And that has... Everyone who was on the stage, we all got together for the for a kind of big finale that night. So it was nice to have that little um, reminder, I suppose, of that night because that was our first kind of proper milestone. And then um, I, it was it was like the the album was a, a similar, sentimentally speaking, it was a similar kind of exercise of wanting to be able to to sort of embrace slightly unusual or, or different things for us, really. Yeah, great. Now, I know that, um, as you say, you've been doing lots of, there's lots of different stuff on the album, but you are known for Scott's song. And Fiona, I wonder what kind of drew you to that kind of area of traditional music? What what, what do you love about Scott's song? Um, just the, there's the, the kind of the stories within the song and the history and just 
and there's so and, and you know you can take one song and have so many different versions of it from different parts kind of geographically around different parts of Scotland um how the song can change whether it be the melody or slight differences in the story and just the whole kind of folk lore of of, of the songs is something that's always really interested me and 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 the, the kind of whole oral tradition as well of how songs are passed on you know, brother from myself, learning from some amazing tradition bearers of Alice McMorland and Andy Hunter and people like that, and how the songs are are still living today, um, being passed on through people in person or whether it's archive recordings or whatever it may be. It's just there's such a such a history in the songs. Um, so, what are your future plans for? Uh for performance? I mean, do you, I don't suppose you can plan much at the moment. Uh, no, our, our future plans are sketchy at the moment, to be honest. Uh, everything obviously got pulled last year. <coughs> and this year looks like it's uh, very much going to be going the same way. So uh, God only knows what uh, festivals and events it will even uh, look like by the time, you know... Yeah. Yeah. Not normality as as we would have understood it is a, a long way off yet. Uh, so it's 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 really interesting. We haven't um, we haven't played together since uh, November, October, November twenty nineteen. We we did a, a festival down in Denham, and in fact we haven't we haven't seen one another since then, other than on, on Zoom chats and stuff like that. So. Nobody has has seen how how old and grey I've become, and uh, how how downbeaten and Fiona's uh, Fiona's got her own cross to bear. <laughs> oh dear! Well, I think Fiona's been pretty busy with old teaching as well, haven't you? Yeah, I'm kind of online teaching, and it's just so strange that it's it's gone. To, I'm used to working with groups of people and the kind of communication side of it I'm really in the socializing aspect has, has been really tricky and just and I think as well with with singing you know you you really want to be close to the people that you're sharing songs yeah. with and teaching them and uh, so I'm just yeah really looking forward to when we can get back into a room and a space with people and yeah It'll be great. <laughs> great. And, and until then, we do have a lovely track to play from Hansel. So uh, maybe you guys would like to tell us a little bit about it. Who's going to do that? Well, what I'll say is about the Forester. It's um, in terms of the arrangement of it. It's um, it's it's quite. I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to choose a word with care. It's not your kind of verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, verse, chorus kind of song arrangement. Uh -huh. um, it is a wee bit not the kind of thing that we would normally do. And it's one of the things that's always struck me about it is uh, it's, it's one of those songs where if we, if we had to play it tomorrow, I'd have to have my crib sheet on the floor to remember where the instrumental breaks come in. It's not one of them ones that just... <laughs> it just goes in neat little blocks, um, but I guess that's probably down to the fact that uh, I didn't have a great deal of role in arranging it because I'm a wee bit more of a structuralist when it comes to things like that. Uh, but it's musically, I mean, it's it's great, and Mike's playing is, is very much to the forefront in it in terms of the instrumental hooks and things like that. And it's, it's a great showcase for him. It's a great. Uh, I mean, it's obviously it's you know so. One of the muckle kind of ballad type songs, and, and that's that's really good in terms of what it represents. But I think Fee and Steve really do sing it um, really well, and it's a great showcase for their voices together. We do try to do that, um, whether it's a live show thing or whether it's an album thing. We do like to get them singing two part, you know, vocals on the songs rather than just like um, you know doing harmonies or whatever, because that it kind of it's, they've got voices that really work really well together. I think. So it's like the maybe maybe it's the folk equivalent of free jazz. Then, would you describe <laughs> it as that? Well, I'm a, I'm a bit of a bluff old traditionalist when it comes to these things, and I like to I like to think in terms of structure. Mike's much more in terms of music, and uh, I think you can you can you maybe couldn't tell that Mike had a lot of uh, role, but you can certainly tell it wasn't anything I had a great deal of involvement in. Fiona, what do you say about it? 
Well, I think it, it, Mark kind of already really said it. It's a, a huge thing for us as as the band, as you know, as the choosing the songs, the repertoire, and you know the fact that this song has this kind of shared, you know, this kind of it can the, the guy part, the girl part, you know, switching between and the story running throughout. Mm-hmm. And it is, a, you know, a, as Mark said, a, one of the Muckle songs. It's a classic ballad, um, and there's lots and lots of recordings of it. But um, I think going back to where the kind of song, certainly for myself, the version that I knew before singing it with Malinky was from the singing of Lizzie Higgins. Mm. Um, and it's just really interesting as well of, of the, where the different versions come from. And then Steve kind of did a bit of magic with words and, and kind of picked the, chorus, the verses, should I say, that, would, that were right for us as, as Malinky. And that's something that's always been quite important is, you know, making a song... Staying true to the tradition, but also making it our own um, and putting our own kind of stamp on it. So, yeah. Fab. We look forward to hearing it. And thanks so much for joining us. It's been a slightly technically difficult. (laughs) We'll tell the listeners about that later. But uh, I'm glad we got there in the end. Thanks so much, Fiona and Mark. Yeah, good. Thanks very much. We'll see you soon, I hope. Yeah. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I'm a forester in this wood and you're the same design It's the mantle on your maiden heat, bonnie lassie, never mind Singing diddy-i-o, sing fallado, sing diddy-i-o, aye Sign you've laid me down, let's come pack me up again And sign you've been the walls of me, come tell to me your name Sing and diddy-i-o, sing fallado Sometimes they call me James and sometimes they call me John And when I'm on the King's Highway, young Daniel is my name Singing diddy-i-o, sing fallado, sing diddy-i-o, They neither call you James or they neither call you John and when you're on the king's highway, young William is your name. Sing in the D.I.O. Sing Fallado, sing the D.I.O. When he had his name called it, he's mounted on his steed. She's buckled up her petticoats and left her him she's gayed. Sing in the D.I.O. Sing Fallado, sing the D.I.O. She's run and she's run the long summer day Till they come to the water that's cried the river tea Singing diddy-i-o's and fallados and diddy-i-o-i-a It's I have seen yon castle that's out in yonder green. There is nae bonnier maiden there than that to form a in. Sing in the D.I.O. Sing Fallado, sing the D.I.O. She has tamed the narrow ford and he has tamed the wide. Before he got to steep turn when she was on the other side Singing the D.I.O. Sing Fallado, sing the D.I.O. She's getting the king's her door as fast as she could hear The is a night and day of court as day has robbed me Singing the D.I.O. Sing Fallado, sing the D.I.O. Did he steal your mantle, or did he steal your feet? Or did he steal your maiden heat, the flood of your body? Singing the D.I.O. sing fallado, sing the D.I.O. He neither stole my mantle, or he neither stole my feet. But he stole my maiden heat, the flood of my body. Singing the D.I.O. sing fallado, sing the D.I.O. If he is a single man, a married you may be 
And if he is a married man, we'll tie into a tree Sing and diddy-i-o, sing fall-a-do, sing diddy-i-o, ay-ay I wish to drink the water, the night to drink the wine To hear a shepherd's doctor, to be a love of mine Sing and diddy-i-o, sing fall-a-do, sing diddy-i-o, ay-ay When the marriage had come off, they'd love to see the fun She's the lad of Yuri's doctor he was a blacksmith's son Singing the D.I.O. Sing Valado Sing the D.I.O. Singing the D.I.O. Sing Valado Sing the D.I.O. So thanks very much to Mark and Fiona and a lovely track at the end. Jenan actually comes from a family of foresters. <laughs> that was the track which is on their latest album, Hansel. And next up is My Lockdown Life, one of our regular features with L- Lilius Kinsman Blake of The She. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, my name is Lilius, I play the flute with the she and I live in Glasgow with my husband and two children and I thought it might be nice to share with you an extract from reflections I wrote on this past year. October 2019, five weeks after the birth of my daughter, Bjork performed in Glasgow. Somewhat impulsively I bought a ticket. Leaving a crying baby in my husband's arms I felt like Cinderella, with a bicycle for a coach and a hungry baby pumpkin. I sensed it was a gig not to be missed, but little did I know this would be the last live performance I would see to date. In such an expansive arena, Bjork was both intimate and massive, rooted in tradition and far-reaching into the future. She had an environmental message, but stronger still was her immense creativity which gave me hope. I truly believe it will be our creativity and our compassion that ensures the survival of our species and the planet. I mention this because it has become an anchor for me this past year, almost a mantra I have woven it into our daily lives. March 2020, and while others are stockpiling toilet rolls, we are hoarding empty cardboard boxes. Cardboard and fear of the unknown. That's what I remember most. But slowly, we built through it. Creativity became more than my work, more than just the bones of playing music or making art, which are now the clear losers in the battle for undivided attention with my children. Creativity begins to infiltrate into all that we do. It knits our time together. We bake, make, plant, paint, sing, dance, build, tell stories and I start to draw again, every day, with whatever is to hand. Usually fat, short children's crayons and blunt, stubby pencils. A year on, I reflect on my children's differing early life experiences. My son, at three months, flew to Germany for my first gig with a baby in tow. Then it was long journeys up and down the UK, draped awkwardly and ungainly over the child seat I tried to sedate a very unhappy and disgruntled baby with a breast full of milk, a hopefully sleeping baby backstage, passing him over after a quick top-up feed in the interval, mopping up a high car of sicked-up blueberries, breastfeeding nights, constant entertaining, soundcheck, gig, eat and repeat. His first birthday is marked with photos of my family eating cake while we perform on stage at the Sage Gateshead leaving him with grandparents, waving goodbye on the platform and flopping into a cocooning red seat, heaviness in my bones and yet a flicker of excitement, time, time to think, to create, to play, to sleep. The rhythmic noise of the breast pump ringing in my ears, the accompanying soundtrack to these first childless mother tours. It felt important to keep, keep performing for myself and my child. I am a musician, artist and mother. My son, very nearly five, still finds separation with me difficult. Did the conflicting choices I made between art and family contribute? The constant search of a way for both to coexist is tiring, but when it works, it is the most right feeling in the world. I contrast this with my COVID baby. No playgroups, no museums, no shows, no library, and the closest she has come to swimming is in her twice-weekly bath or a shivering paddle in a Scottish loch or choppy surf on a blustery beach. I catch her investigating the back of my computer screen. I'm sure she believes her grandparents and elephants both live inside. She has made one brief trip out of Scotland to meet Amy's twins in Newcastle. My son, in comparison, was a seasoned traveller by the age of two, voyaging as far as Thailand. 
Despite, or maybe because of the stability of this past year, my daughter is the outgoing, adventurous one who runs into life with open arms. I have never spent a night away from her, and as such I exist daily, wading through a thick treacle of raw, but somehow still beautiful exhaustion. I crave more than anything time, and envy the time many artists have found during lockdown to be creatively productive. I do however know this is more often not the reality, and very aware that this past year has been particularly harsh on those making a living through the arts. Looking back, I feel I am one of the fortunate ones. I am thankful for those long nights with a baby in arms, just my thoughts and the thoughts of brilliant human minds for company, many books and a year of self-development, of actively living a creative life and of our health and our happiness. I have grown a picture book and founded an organisation with a vision to liberate education for the next generation of uh, children in Scotland. I am eager now to rejoin our society with an awakened curiosity, creativity, compassion and an appreciation for the small things in life family, friends, and of course, live music. Lilius Kinsman Blake for that lovely story and the wonderful flute playing. The track that you heard was The Birds of Salem Alley on the Breathing Road and the Soaring Seas by the wonderful flautist Brian Finnegan. Um, and that's from the She's latest album, Continuum. So we're moving on to Nova Scotia to, to JP Cormier, someone that we didn't know before, but we very quickly found that we had lots of people in common. J.P. Cormier discovered an innate talent for playing the guitar at the age of five, picking up fiddle and an array of other instruments in his teens. A native of Ontario, Canada, he is unique and been equally steeped in the bluegrass, old-time and Americana of the southern states and the old country trad of Cape Breton. Through his four-decade career, J.P. has also taught privately in workshops and camps, passing on what he has learned to probably thousands of others over the years. Hello. Hello there. Yeah, did that sound like you? Yeah, yeah, actually, pretty accurate. Yeah, mm-hmm. good, good. So we're uh, we're sitting in our spare bedroom in Edinburgh, in Scotland. Where are you right now? I'm in my recording studio, just outside of Halifax, Nova Scotia. I wish I was there with you. Yeah, um, we wish you were as well. We were really looking yeah. forward to your show last year, and uh, uh, yeah, so we hope to see you whenever we can. Scotland um, is my favorite place on earth. Is it? It is, yeah. How many p- times have you been here and where have you played? Well over a dozen times, I'm sure. Yeah. I've been going there since 95 or 96. I've been just about everywhere in Scotland. Played played everywhere, from Shetland to Orkney, Thurzo, Aberdeen, Inverness, Edinburgh, many times in Glasgow. Fantastic. It's, yeah, it's just one of my favorite places in the whole world. We even, we even honeymooned there. Really? Yeah. Where did, where did you get to? Everywhere. Glasgow, mm-hmm. Edinburgh. We made the circle, you know, on the train. Yeah. Glasgow, Edinburgh, Inverness. It was just amazing. It's just it's such a great place. And have you performed with any Scottish musicians at all? Oh, hundreds of them. Yeah? Do you yeah. want to, you want to out any of them? Oh, God. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's, it's just too many to name. Just mm-hmm. it, Pretty well every major Scottish artist I've, in the last, you know, 30 years, I've probably played a festival with. Yeah. 
I've done Celtic Connections three or four times. I've done Mm -hmm. Shetland six times. I've done uh, just any number, just so many things over there. I miss, I was on my way there when the pandemic started. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Sucked. Well, at least your liver will be in better shape if you didn't do Shetland. No, I, the liver's in worse shape because I had to do extra drinking because of the depression of not going to Scotland. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. What's your favorite whiskey? Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> right now it's Sakantoshan. Uh-huh. But I've just, been, I've, just, uh, my, I've just been given a bottle of Balvany that's 21-year-old Caribbean cask Balvany. This was given to me for my birthday. It's cost about $600 a bottle over here. <gasps> Yeah, uh, yeah, that's so good. Oh my god! Yeah, I learned. I learned. I learned Scotch in Scotland. Yeah, that's where I learned about Scotch. Well, that's all the more tragic that you're not here, actually, because I've I've done my best to destroy a few musicians with my whiskey collection. But there you go. um, I think you look like a man that could withstand the the um, the on the onslaught. I think you're. I absolutely have a hollow leg. So you've got a little studio at home that looks looks pretty good from what I'm seeing on this screen in front of me. It looks pretty well equipped. Um, well, I've run, I've I've run a studio for 25 years. Uh, my wife and I built this about three years ago when I moved here, and uh, it's a it's a really nice studio. It's full. It's a full service studio. Wow. So you record other people in it as well? Oh, oh yes. Yeah, Lord. yeah. I produce other records here. The camera's facing away from the recording part. You're, right. look, you're looking at the yeah. lounge and uh, uh-huh. the, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very busy, busy place between working my own things and producing people all the time here. And mm-hmm. then it's also a television studio because the YouTube channel is uh, pretty well taken over paying the bills. So right. we okay. do all of our work here for the YouTube channel as well. Yeah. So. And I bet you've never spent so much time in it. No, I haven't. Yeah. I was saying last night, we have a weekly show every Wednesday night called String Theory. Uh-huh. And uh, I, was, I was talking last night about it. It's a, it's a live show that people literally, you know, chat in and ask questions. And uh, my wife, Ginger, moderates and uh, you never see her. You just hear her. So she's become quite famous in her own right. <laughs> Good for her. You have, you have ginger heads, you know, that one yeah. just love ginger. And uh, yeah. I mentioned last night on the program that if I could have chosen, you know, the end game of my career, this would have been it. To to work in to work in the studio and and basically just uh, record and teach and and talk about guitars and music. That's because that's all we do here now. Yeah. Well, we hope it's not the end game, but uh, it's good. Well, to- I've been on the road for thirty-nine years, so you 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 can only do the, do it for so long. When it starts, Absolutely. either it's either going to eat up your body or your mind, one or the other. So, <laughs> sure. Yeah, pretty exhausting. You know, all this sort of different bed every night. The, you know, everything. Diets affected I, by it. The whole thing. You know. I never minded the travel. The travel was always the most fun for me. Actually, the hardest. The hardest part of doing this job is actually just the business, is mm-hmm. uh, is dealing dealing with people. You know that uh, I mean ninety ninety percent of the people I deal with are tremendous, and then there's others that just <laughs> drain you to <laughs> max. You know, it's just you know, yeah, but but they don't mean it. They don't mean it. They don't mean to. Hopefully not. Anyway, no. You were uh, campaigning for better broadband in Nova Scotia. How did that work out? Did you find success? Well, no, we didn't. We uh, we we didn't. But but it's uh, but it's in the works. Appar- okay. Apparently, so right. they claim. Yeah. Yeah, because I think that you were finding it quite problematic. You know, being from working from home and having to do stuff online, and I think it's it's a case for a lot of people in your rural areas actually, and it's been really brought back brought home you know when they've had to be working from home well so if we didn't have if we weren't as successful at this new business model as we have been we wouldn't have internet at all because we use and are using right now as a matter of fact uh, uh, a data a data uh, uh, 
transmitter that changes cell signal into Wi-Fi, right? oh, which yeah. costs which costs per meg used, right? Right. Okay. So mm-hmm. it uh, it's it's quite expensive. It's probably three or four times the cost of regular fiber op internet. Wow. But uh, okay. it's uh, it, we we're thankful for that because yeah. without it we wouldn't have a job right now. My wife is uh, Ginger's a, a pilot, uh, a captain oh, wow. for one of the, for one of the ma- major airlines here, and, and she hasn't flown a plane since uh, almost a year, I guess. Wow! Yeah. So it's just uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. She's she's taking the substitute teaching in the in the public schools here. Ah. So we have a very interesting life. Yeah, I did Ooh. notice actually talking of schools um, yes, that you've been doing some work with the local kids. I think I saw a really lovely video um, for your song Ancient and Forever that came yeah, out quite, it, quite recently. How did you get involved with that? Well, to be quite honest with you, I'm not actually involved. I <laughs> I just, uh, they, uh, the guy who produced that also was the guy who had the young Mi'kmaq uh, First Nations girl who sang Blackbird in Mi'kmaq, the Mi'kmaq language, All right. which which became world famous. It was viral. Paul McCartney even even chimed in and talked about her. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he was looking for another project. And there's so many things going on here in, in the uh, in North America concerning reconciliation and uh, sure. historical things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he decided to use. Uh, my song for uh, this project where all the children would sing my song in all the f- major languages, French, English, Gaelic, and, uh, and Mi'kmaq. Ah, okay, and nice. so um, the, uh, all that happened was he called me and asked me if he could do it. And I said, yes. And he said, will you sing, just sing the song through once with a guitar? And that's all mm-hmm. I did. That was it. It was the end of the, right. I never met any of those people. I never talked to them. <laughs> I just talked to Carter. Yeah. Yeah, it was quite ex- extraordinary what he yeah. what he did with it. Yes, yeah, it's it was pretty cool. So it's yeah. just, it's just people check it out. Um, it's on YouTube, right? Yes, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it just it just got a really uh, interesting review from uh, the UNESCO conference. Oh, really? Yeah, they were supposed to play it to end uh, this one particular meeting or mm-hmm. of the of the event. And they've now started to end every single day with that song, wow. that version of the song. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. I think Douglas was looking back at uh, some of the people he'd worked with in the past, and there was a name that really uh, struck him. He's got a little bit of an obsession, Douglas. Yeah, um, I have a cousin in Canada who some years ago introduced me to Stump and Tom Connors, <laughs> more specifically the, the fabulous song Bud the Spud, about yes. a potato, potato lorry driver turned yep. into hero. Um, yep. You apparently played with him. Oh, yeah. yeah? Tom, was like a, Tom was like a father to me. Wow. I met Tom in 1990. It was his comeback tour. I don't know how much you know about Tom's history, but he I was the pieces about him sending back his Junos and because they were giving them to turncoat Canadians and rumors yeah. about him, you know, having a warm case of beer and a cold case of beer as part of his rider. Yeah, the warm one to carry home. No, he drank warm beer. The cold oh. beer was for the band. Oh, ah, is okay. that it? Yeah. Oh, wow. No, he never carried beer anyway, anywhere except in his stomach. <laughs> he, okay. uh, he was a he. He was he was one of the people that taught me how to drink. And wow. uh, when I when I say that, I'm talking about a two four a day, twenty four beers a day, staying up till five in the morning and smoking five packs of cigarettes a day. Oh my god. He was a wow. monstrous man, that guy. He was unstoppable. I also he, heard he, that... Oh, sorry, carry on. I was just saying, everything should have killed him, but nothing that he did killed him. He died of kidney failure. Jeez. And he didn't yeah. have to die. He could have went for dialysis, dialysis, but they wouldn't let him smoke in the hospital. Ah, I was just about to ask for that. Apparently, he always yeah. insisted he could smoke everywhere. Yeah, so yeah. He, he died rather than go and not be able to smoke for four hours a day. Wow. Yeah. That is yeah. quite an incredible story. He was a he was a very he was a very enigmatic human being, and uh, yeah. 
a, a really interesting guy. He, he he definitely affected me and everybody that's ever, ever worked with him. He he had a profound effect in our lives. Yeah, very nationalistic Canadian, really, wasn't he? Or, or even more yeah. than that, PDI. Yeah, sir, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, talking of people that taught you, I'm really interested in um, your teaching because I know that you've been teaching almost as long as you've been playing. And I guess, in a way, the first person you taught was yourself. Would you say that was true? Well, that's the whole basis of the of the system. Yeah. I've taught privately all my life because uh, in the early days of my career, I couldn't make a living, but I refused to get a job. Yeah. So I, I was I was always of the mind and was I was just taught early on by some by you know a lot of people that I looked up to who were making a living playing music that you couldn't there was no way to ever make it in the music business if you didn't have both feet in and mm -hmm. everything to lose if you yeah. failed. Mm -hmm. That's the only way it works. If you don't if you don't go in all the way, you can't get anything out of it. So in the early days I would in between tours and, and, and full-time band gigs when I was just a sideman from the age of 15 or 16 on to 25 or so, I would take private students. And I, I, at, in those days, I didn't realize what it was I was doing, but I always had a specific style of teaching. Mm -hmm. And I, and it was very successful. The students that came to me were, were often amazed by the things I divulged to them. Right. That at the time, might not have made any sense, but but over a couple of weeks when they started to do it, they went, "Oh, geez, that's that really works well." Mm -hmm. So years later, I had this, you know, about fifteen years ago, I I decided that I wanted because I love to teach and I love to share knowledge with people, especially about guitar, and I teach all all the stringed instruments, but guitar is closest to my heart, and mm -hmm. I I was. I ran into some people, and I won't name them, but I ran into a lot of people actually <laughs> in my career that I asked questions of, yeah. and uh, they turned their back on me, right. and it, it always bothered me, and I thought, you know, I, I will never do that. I will always divulge every secret, whether you want to call it one or not, and so... About 15 years ago, I thought I need. I would really love to have a new merchandise line, and I thought I'm going to create a, a syllabus based on my teaching style and put out put this all on DVD and sell them. Mm -hmm. And the project became so humongous, and the way we were going to film it at the time, which had never been done, which was multi multi cameras. Yeah. Uh, player, player, uh, like the player uh, view of the instrument instead of just from the front, and all these different things. Right? It became so huge and unwieldy that I that I couldn't do it. And so, flash forward to about four years ago, uh, a company called VHX popped up in the states, and it was basically just a, a subscription management service, and they provided you all the tools to start your own website and, and charge a subscription price. So I thought there, there it is. That's how I can do this and do it in order mm -hmm. as a syllabus, as, as it works. Right. Yep. And I started this, I started the system four years ago and, and it kind of went stagnant because I wasn't promoting it properly. I was too busy on the road. Then the pandemic happened mm -hmm. <laughs> and we began really promoting it and putting new material up every Thursday and all of a sudden, it 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 just exploded. Yeah. And uh, so there's a there's a huge community on there now, almost triple in size from what it was before the pandemic. And it's mastermusicmethod.com. dot com, and right. uh, it's the cheapest way you can possibly learn from someone like me. So it's fifteen U.S. dollars a month. That's all it is. And wow. it, on the site has my dream. Uh, arrangement of teaching tools that I was going to put on DVD, but instead now you can review them ad nauseum. And there's four directories, <laughs> guitar, fiddle, banjo, and mandolin. And there's uh, it's they, they begin right at rank beginner. Uh, I was going to ask like, you about that. Yeah. They start at the history of the instrument and then how to buy one and then how to maintain one and then your first lesson, right? And, and, they, and they go right up to insanity. 
Because right now, <laughs> right now, we're, oh yeah, right now, we, there's so many people on there now that they're they're getting on in touch with me through the forums. Oh, cool. And yeah. I'd sure like to learn the Claw by Jerry Reed, or I'd sure like to do this or that. So what that that week I I filmed the lesson. Sometimes wow. I have to take it into two or three parts, right? And then other times people say, well, I just don't know sure how to do a bowed cut on the fiddle. So then I do a little video on that. And they're very short and digestible. They're 10, yeah. 15 minutes long. And you're going to wear your rewind button out on your computer or your phone or whatever. <laughs> but it's a, it's a really, people seem to really love it. That's so, great that it's so responsive to what people, you can do that. You know, you have the Yeah, it, start, it's, it started out as a, you know, uh, an in-stone uh, structure. But mm -hmm. as the people came, I just started to tailor to them. And that seems to be working really well because what one person wants, probably a hundred others want. They just don't sure. say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the beauty of the internet. Yep. Well, um, it's been amazing to talk to you. Um, we're sorry that you couldn't get here this year, but we're very much looking forward to welcoming you to the festival, um, our to our house for a whiskey oh. or two or three or um, but while, while we wait for that I, I think we're going to play one of your um tunes uh can you tell us a little bit about uh clinch mountain backstep well that was always a fan and a student of american music like americana not mm -hmm. just american music in general but bluegrass especially and mm -hmm. spent a lot of time down there learning it and uh one day I was in the studio and I had this album almost done and I wanted it to have an instrumental. And uh, so I decided to find out what would happen if a, if a banjo player got together with an upright player and a you know guitar and a mandolin player. Mm -hmm. And uh, perhaps what would happen if uh, Eddie Van Halen walked into the session. And that's, <laughs> and that's, that's what the Clint, my version of the Clint's Mountain Backstep is like. <laughs> wow, that's brilliant. <laughs> Great. Thanks a lot. See you soon. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank okay. you. Bye. See you Thanks. whenever. Bye. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Bye.
Thanks for that chat, JP. If any of you really want to know about Stomping Tom Connors, then I would recommend Bud the Spud. Put that into your search engine. Classic, <laughs> classic Canadian music. And the track that you just heard was Clinch Mountain Backstep from the album The Chance. Next up, we have our Moishas Fable for the day from Greg Lawson, who, uh, whose career in music started by breaking a record. Listen on for more. My route to the bagels, and I have no idea where to start, so I'll start at the beginning. Um, when My route into music started uh, when uh, I used to listen to a record that my dad had. His favourite record of um, Hans Christian Andersen singing Inch Worm, which is just a really gorgeous, gorgeous piece of music. And uh, I loved it. And I tried to, I could only listen to it when he was listening to it. I didn't have to use a record player. So one day I thought I'd try to listen to it by myself without, you know, knowing how to pick it up. And I dropped it and I broke the record. And uh, I thought I was going to get killed. And my dad really patiently, uh, he looked crestfallen when I showed him the broken record. And he said, listen, I'm going to show you how to use a record player so that you can listen to music and you won't break any more records. And so he introduced me to his record collection. And it was the beginning of a massive journey. And on that shelf was a box set of Beethoven symphonies with uh, Klemper conducting the Berlin Phil. It was like the recording for decades to come. Um, West Side Story, the original soundtrack from West Side Story, Leonard Bernstein. Um, uh, Paco de Lucia, flamenco guitar, Ravi Shankar, sitar music, uh, an album of Catalonian folk songs, um, The Beatles, Bob Dylan, uh, Billy Pig and Joe Hutton playing Northumbrian pipes, and Elvis Presley's greatest hits. <laughs> and I was just, I just couldn't get enough of it. I just listened to music non-stop, listened to all of it. And I listened to it from the point, the perfect point, which was of not knowing anything. I didn't know anything about music. I didn't know who these people were. I didn't know that there was a difference between Beethoven and Elvis Presley. To me, they were saying the same thing, but with a different dialect. And my route into music was, uh, was kind of formed. When I took up the fiddle and started playing folk music and then uh, and rock music, I played in heavy metal bands and folk bands. And, and then I kind of got kidnapped by the classical brigade who took me into their world. And back then, it wasn't, the teaching was very different. You know, both Mario and I and Phil, we, well, all of us, we teach at the Royal Conservatoire. Um, when I went to college, the deal my teacher made with me was that you have to stop playing folk music and rock music, that none of that is proper music. And I had to give it up in order to learn the violin. And at the time, it seemed like a, a temporary deal that I could handle because I needed to learn how to play the violin and the only way I was going to do that was to study it deeply and properly. So I kind of gave everything up and leapt in headfirst into the classical world and uh, I learned a lot. It was an astonishing journey, but I always wanted to get back out again and, and years and decades went by <laughs> and eventually ended up in the Scottish Chamber Orchestra and I started playing with McFalls which was a huge release for me into being allowed to play the violin the way I'd always wanted to play the violin, but hadn't for a long time. And But that became frustrating. And uh, and then the bagels happened. And the bagels for me was the, the first place I'd discovered that I could play different music, but at the same level of intricacy, nuance, um, and beauty as Mozart and Beethoven and Mahler, you know. It was chamber music, but was nothing written down. And it changed my life, I suppose, in that way again. And we set off on that, that journey, which we've been on for like nearly 20 years. And, and if we've all had our ups and downs, but it still remains to me the, the most fun that I can have as a musician, fully dressed or without drugs. <laughs> was episode four we hope you enjoyed it thanks so much to all our interviewees to fiona hunter mark dunlop and jp cormier and contributors lilius kinsman blake and greg lawson we hope you'll join us for tomorrow's fifth tradfest podcast 
We'll be uh, hearing from our correspondent in Helsinki, Malin Lewis, who chats to Tero and Petri from Frigg. We'll also chat to Rachel Newton and Amy Thatcher of The Sheep. Join us tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Bye. Edinburgh Trackfest podcast is produced and presented by Douglas Robertson and Jane Ann Purdy, with the help of our hugely capable engineer, Dave Kay. The theme tune, Silence of the Trams, is by Angus R. Grant, performed and arranged by Sugar Nifty. Information on all our guests and the music played is listed on our website, edinburghtradfest.com. Huge thanks to our funders, Creative Scotland and... The William Grant Foundation, makers of Glenfiddich and other wonderful things. Please rate, review and subscribe to Edinburgh Tradfest podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Apparently that helps other people find it. Thanks very much.